Hello, friends, and welcome to More Than Gold, a podcast that rejoices in three very important truths. You are precious. You are a value. You are worth more than gold. I'm Sonia DeClerc, and I'm your host for the show. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for joining in. I have with me today Jocelyn Davison, who is the founder of The Virtual Effect, an event planning and purpose and engagement company in Edmonton, Alberta, that curates connection and impact through meaningful events and purposeful partnerships. Through her work with clients, she creates experiences that weave seamlessly into their brand and client connections. Jocelyn runs her own series of events called Elevate, in which she creates opportunities for real connection and education on the significant world issues through her impact events, including human trafficking and domestic violence. Jocelyn is proud to work closely with Windhouse, a domestic violence shelter in Edmonton, as the chair of their ambassador program, where she educates, advocates, and raises awareness on the work that they do. In 2020, Jocelyn was featured as a TEDx speaker, where she spoke passionately about human trafficking in our country. Her heart lays in giving back to the community, working with people who are making an impact and creating real relationships. Welcome, Jocelyn. I am so excited to have you here. I absolutely adore you, and I stand in awe of the remarkable work that you do, so thank you for being here today. Oh, Sonia, thank you, and thank you for having me. Thank you for your kind words. I'm, I am so excited to have this conversation with you. Absolutely. Me too. We, um, I love meaningful conversations. Oh, I'm with you. Yes, and I think that's maybe why we connect so well, mm-hmm. is because we're not about the fluff. No. Nope. We are about the heart. Yes. 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 And so we've we've got some heartfelt conversation and dialogue that is going to take place today. So that being said, I'm going to turn the time over to you. And I want to give you space to to share um, your message because you you have such a profound message and you stand for so much. So I really want you to take the time now to share that with with our audience today. Thank you. So. When we started having the conversation about, you know, me being given the gift and the opportunity to sit here with you today, um, I, I spent a lot of time reflecting on what what I wanted to talk about because as you and I have chatted about before, there, there are so many things that, that I'm passionate about and that I love to speak about and, um, you know, so many opportunities to learn. And one of the things that really landed with my heart is I wanted to share about my, I guess, my experience, although indirectly with domestic violence and how that was something that was such a significant event within my life that over the last 25 years has now almost come full circle and is such a big part of of what I do, I guess, both personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. And um, so April 5th, 
1996. I was in grade 12. It was Good Friday. We're heading into the Easter long weekend. We had a ton of family coming in from out of town. It was always like this big weekend of of family and connection time. Mm -hmm. And I was out running errands with my sister and we went through a check out at Zellers. I'll never okay. forget. We yeah. were at Zellers. Zellers. And the woman, the cashier, looked at us and said, have you girls seen a green minivan driving around? And kind of looked at each other and we're like, what is going on? Like, no, this is, it was kind of odd and went about our day. Okay. And so a little bit later, it was, it was kind of, I guess it would have been early to mid-afternoon and we... Uh, all of my family had arrived, so we had this house full of energy and bustle and all sounds and conversation. And the phone rang, and it was a friend of mine. And she said, Jocelyn, have you heard? Oh. I said, no. Heard what? And she said, Harv and her family are dead. Oh, my goodness. And in that moment, that is the one and only time in my life that my knees literally gave out. Yeah. And I fell to the ground and I was angry and I was confused. And so what happened was um, on the, the morning of April 5th, mm-hmm. I believe it was 1040 in the morning, mm-hmm. um, my dearest high school friend, Harvinder Gackle, her and her family were at home and they were preparing for the wedding of her sister the next day. And her second eldest sister, Rajwar, had been married to a man. And um, that relationship was riddled with violence mm-hmm. from the very beginning. And Rajwar had been with this man for, uh, I believe their marriage lasted just under 18 months. She left him because because of the abuse okay. and um on that day he showed up at their house and he murdered their entire family oh my goodness it absolutely shook my world it was it it shook the entire community to mm-hmm. have such an act of violence that wiped out an entire family. Mm-hmm. So there were nine people that died that day. Oh. There were four survivors in the house. Yeah. The one survivor was um, the mother of my friend's eldest sister's husband. Okay. And three young girls. So these these were my friend's nieces. So there was um, six-year-old twins, Brittany and Justine, Mm -hmm. and four-year-old Courtney that survived this. Okay. So it, I did, I didn't even know what to what to do with any of this. No, no. How do you know? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and um. It was pretty much a whirlwind. Uh, a whirlwind maybe isn't the right word. It was a complete uh, 
I don't I don't even know what it was, but the the time that followed that phone call and getting the details of what had happened, it was it was a complete blur. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know the the domestic violence that had been happening for my friend's sister. They were a very private family mm-hmm. and that just wasn't something that was shared. You know, I I knew that her sister was no longer with this man, mm-hmm. but I didn't know the reasons why. And let's be honest, you know, going back to my, you know, 17-year-old self, it it wasn't probably a conversation that would have even come up. I don't I don't know how Harv would have even approached that with me. Right. Um so losing her losing her entire family, you know, a, a family that I had spent time with that I knew um in such a awful horrific tragic way was um it was really life-changing. Absolutely. And um on April the 10th was the funeral for the family and I was asked to speak. Mm-hmm. And that was another day that is etched in my memory mm-hmm. forever. Um, so Harv and her family, um, they're an East Indian family. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that, um, you know, going even to what you say in the introduction of, of like the very first episode of your podcast and you speak about the you need to experience the lows in life to experience the highs. And um, in the East Indian culture, they when they celebrate, they celebrate. And it's, mm-hmm. it's from the very fiber of their being. Mm-hmm. And when they mourn, they it mourn. is they mourn. Yeah. And it was, I have never in my life witnessed such an outward expression and seeing grief yeah. and morning in that way and I wasn't prepared for for the for that Mm -hmm. and um it was an open casket funeral okay and so I knew that I would need to be standing in front of the caskets Mm -hmm. to deliver the eulogy for my friend Harv and for her brother Paul Mm -hmm. and so I knew that I needed to go past those caskets before I went up because I needed to have seen that. Mm -hmm. And so there was over a thousand people at Mm -hmm. this, at this funeral. And, um, we were standing in line and I'll never forget this, this older gentleman, (laughs) gray beard, gray hair up in his turban. And he came and he, he grabbed me in this loving strength and whisked me past each casket. So it was long enough for me to see, yeah. but not long enough to stop and be frozen in the moment because I truly right. think that that's what would have happened. Yeah. And um, after that, the, uh, the funeral happened and I delivered the eulogy for these two young humans that you know, were a part of the nine that lost their lives. And, um, and then it, 
was done. Mm-hmm. And it was um, it was time to then get back to real life. I shouldn't say real life. It was time to get on with life mm-hmm. as because as you've mentioned, like things keep spinning, the world keeps turning and life keeps happening. And it's such a strange place to be in because for you, your world as you know it, it's now forever changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you're coping with so many different things with shock. Um, the trauma, yes, uh, emotional loss, grieving. There's just so much to process, but life goes on. And and so how do, how do you take that next step? It's a it's a really hard transitional step, a necessary yeah. one, but not easy in any way. No. And you were 17. Mm-hmm. So what did that look like for you? How how did you take that next step? And where did you go? It was it was so hard. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I was riddled with grief and trauma, like you said, it, mm-hmm. the whole thing and, and not understanding and not knowing what to do with what was happening. And uh, at that, at that time in my life, I was also, I was in a very unhealthy relationship myself mm-hmm. and I didn't realize even in the moment, and it probably wasn't truly until a decade or more later in mm-hmm. reflecting back at how unhealthy that relationship was, but I I needed out of that, mm-hmm. and I was not getting support in that relationship, and um, I left that relationship. Okay. I tried to just dive into things and keep busy and shove all the things down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you can probably imagine how that went over. And the thing is, is when we experience such loss and such trauma, if we don't deal with it, Mm -hmm. it's always there and Mm -hmm. it is going to manifest and come out Mm -hmm. in certain ways. And for me, I started suffering from anxiety attacks. Okay. And I had never in my life had one of those before. And the first one terrified me. Yeah. I couldn't breathe. Yep. I couldn't think. I could. I, I didn't know what was happening. And that was my indication that I, I needed help. And so I did go for therapy. And it took a, a very, very long time to heal. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I didn't know who to turn to. I mean, I have an incredibly supportive family who was there for me and the therapy certainly helped. Um, but it was always something, it was always this thing that had happened that I, I didn't, and still to this day, I don't talk about it a Mm -hmm. lot. Um, but the reason that I really wanted to dive into this today is Mm -hmm. because that significant life event Um, and I, as I've mentioned, didn't know what to do with it and didn't know how to turn that into something good in my life. Mm -hmm. And through starting the virtual effect and through starting Elevate, uh, with Elevate, I was able to find a, an outlet, Mm -hmm. a channel that I could use that situation as a catalyst to have conversations, mm-hmm. to educate, 
to connect, to support. And through Elevate, I was connected with Windhouse, which is a domestic violence shelter in Edmonton that does really incredible work. And it was this full circle moment where, although it took 25 years, Mm -hmm. I now feel that I can give back in a significant way. Okay. And, um, you know, just be a part of something that is going to help women in a situation that, you know, takes so much strength for them to leave. And when they leave, that's not the end. There's so much more. And so to to be able to be a part of this resource that helps them to rebuild their life and provide them safety. And, you know, it's, it's been, it's been so special to be able to, I guess, do something that I feel is making a difference when my 17 year old self didn't know at that time what I could do to ever make a difference in that area. You have shared so much and there is so much that I really, uh, there's so much that resonated with me. Um, so you described it as a catalyst Mm-hmm. And a catalyst is not a small reaction. It is a catalyst really ignites something, something big. Mm-hmm. And so it is so powerful when I meet individuals who have gone through so much and the, the heaviness, the, the trauma, the, the trial, the struggle that they experienced doesn't break them. It strengthens them. It refines them. It's it becomes that catalyst for powerful change, and um, we both kind of acknowledged uh, the need for opposites. That's how we learn, mm-hmm. and and so I guess my takeaway for for anyone listening is that when we go through such trauma, such heartache, that it seems crippling it seems disabling it seems like how on earth can we go on please please know that the exact opposite is very much a reality it's going to take a lot of time effort and work to get there but that reality is there Mm -hmm. it's the law of opposites and um it is rewarding to see that you truly have come full circle. I see it in your countenance. I see it in the way that you talk. I see it in the way that you interact with others. And the empathy and the understanding that you have for every single individual that you meet is beautiful. I don't see you ever meeting anyone with any form of judgment. Um, you are someone like me who knows that there's more going on. We, we rarely, rarely have access to the whole picture. Um, And especially when it comes to domestic violence, that is something that very few people have have awareness about because, well, for so many reasons, is not something that we we talk about openly. No. It it is one of... uh, It's a modern form of slavery. Um... It is abuse. It is, it is something that is so dark and painful to talk about. And then, then there's the legitimate fear of the ramifications of talking about it. Mm-hmm. So you're trapped in this vicious, vicious cycle. 
And so what has been your experience with, with helping women through this process? It, I think it's so important first to just to kind of dovetail off what you were just saying is the complexity of domestic violence and the forms it can take and that no form is less harmful to the individual experiencing it. So it can be physical, Mm -hmm. it can be emotional, it can be um, mentally mentally done it can be financial it can there are so many ways in which a partner can you know be a perpetrator of domestic violence and so for those of us outside of it we're not always going to see the scars the bruises all of those things and so I think that it's very important to to understand the breadth of the ways that that can happen and it's also you know one of the things that I've learned is you know it's a common question like why doesn't this person just leave and that is such a complex situation and it is it is one that those of us outside of that relationship cannot have judgment on mm-hmm. we cannot question that in the work that Winhouse does to support women and children and their children if they have them leaving situations of domestic violence is it is such a it is a process and it doesn't always happen instantly with that initial call to the hotline mm-hmm. it can sometimes it is mm-hmm. sometimes it is it is instant but sometimes that involves time spent developing a safety plan and what is that exit strategy how can we safely get you out of that situation into shelter and then you know keep you moving forward and the reality is sometimes that's a cycle back into the relationship it doesn't always happen that somebody leaves and is has left forever Mm -hmm. it is such a complex situation there are so many emotions involved Mm -hmm. there is this feeling of um but they love me right and the the good times are so good right and so who are we outside to to judge that and the the work that you know women's shelters in this province do to help get women and children out of those situations and into safety. I have so much respect for that and admiration for the case managers and the shelter managers and um, the teams of people that make that possible. Mm-hmm. And so if I can, through the the work that I do to help raise awareness yes. on you know, on organizations such as Windhouse, on the topic of domestic violence, if there are little bits of advocacy work and awareness work that I can do to support the life-changing and impactful work that they do I just it's it's the least that I can do 
is to help raise awareness and to have conversations and to share bits of information that I have so that other people can learn and so that we can have these types of conversations because another big piece of it is the shame and embarrassment that, that people feel like I, how could I stay? There shouldn't be judgment. No, none whatsoever. Um, I really, really love that you brought up shame and embarrassment because those are legitimate feelings. They are some of the most painful and powerful feelings an individual can experience. And, um, and so that has to be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. And, and great sensitivity is required to, to make sure that whatever we do does not add to that embarrassment exactly. and shame. Um, I, I also really love that you are educating and that you're raising awareness because I would imagine that so many women are in a situation where they don't know any different. Um, with physical violence that leaves, uh, bruises and scars, um, there's the flip side of that where there's the emotional, psychological mm-hmm. scars and bruises that we don't see. No. The only one to see that is the one who has had those scars and bruises inflicted on their soul. Yeah. And uh, my heart just breaks for anyone, anyone who is experiencing any of that kind of, of trauma. Um, because there is so much self-doubt and self-question and and maybe the thoughts are complicated by wondering, well, did I bring this upon myself? Exactly. Am I to blame? If I was better, maybe this wouldn't happen. This is justifiable because I did A, B, and C. And and so education is key. These open conversations are key. And it is my greatest hope that anyone listening out there right now who is maybe in a form of an unhealthy relationship will will pick up on what we're saying and 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 take something from it and and deep do a deep search in their soul and say you know what maybe maybe I need to talk to someone Mm -hmm. that's the first step the first step is is acknowledging and talking yeah and then there are these beautiful resources like Winhouse that you've been talking about that they're set up to help There are boots on the ground, and they are here ready to help. But in order for them to help, we need to get these victims Mm -hmm. to the supports. Yes. And I think, too, just to go back to one of the things that you said, is that there's often, for for the people that are in these situations, sometimes they, they don't know if what they're experiencing is actually a form of domestic violence or Mm -hmm. gender-based violence and so within these resources and uh you know I I keep referring to Windhouse because that's the the one that I work directly with but Mm -hmm. there are there are so many throughout the province and the Alberta Council of Women's Shelter their website has access to all of the resources and support throughout the province so that regardless of where people are they can seek support but one of the things that Winhouse does with their with their hotline is people will call and 
explain their situation and and are then in that moment given that little bit of reassurance that what you're experiencing is not right. Mm -hmm. It is not okay. And when you're ready, we're here to help you build a plan to get out of that situation. And a couple of the things that I have learned through my work and I say my work, my, uh, you know, my time with learning more about domestic violence and the time that I've also spent learning about human trafficking, two things that I have learned that are so important are the importance of ethical storytelling. Okay. Can you, can you describe that for me and our listeners? Yes. So what that is, and this goes back to what you were saying earlier about ensuring that us as the recipients of the story, Mm -hmm. that we are not doing any additional harm in the way that we ask them questions. Okay. And most importantly, the way in which we share their story. Absolutely. So with situations of domestic violence and of, and of human trafficking, and, and these are two of, I know, so many um, issues, it's such an easy easy. I say easy because the stories are often, they are heartbreaking. They are horrific. And it's very easy to sensationalize Mm. them Mm -hmm. to try to garner a bigger reaction. Mm. But when we share stories in that way, Mm -hmm. we are, even though our intention might be to, to elicit emotion from the people we're sharing with, we can also be doing further harm to the people that experience that situation. And so being sure that we're sharing stories in the way that they would want them told and that we have permission to share those stories. Absolutely. So that's that's one of the big pieces is just being so mindful of that. And the other piece is meeting people where they're at. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, those being free of judgment and... Mm-hmm. There's, there's a way to help um, without judging where they're at and the decisions that they make because people fleeing these situations, they need to be in control. Mm-hmm. And so who are we to judge how that happens? And we can provide the resources mm-hmm. and the advice. Mm-hmm. And by we, I mean the, the professionals, the people that are trained in, in these situations to help it. That's certainly not me, but that, that we're meeting them where they're at and helping them from that point. And if they're not ready in that point to leave, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Just being okay with that. And that was another big learning for me. Right. I, I picked up on you saying that they had to be in control. Mm -hmm. That can be very, very difficult if they've been in a situation in their relationship where they have had no control. I, and so I, my heart is just aching at the complexity mm-hmm. of the solution and the problem. Yeah. Um, because for an individual to take back control, yes, maybe they didn't even realize they didn't have control. Mm-hmm. Um, the courage that takes, the learning curve. There's Mm -hmm. so much going on. There is. And the other thing is that in with every 
little, what, you know, every small, not little, sorry, every small piece and situation that they can be in control and that they have the power to make decisions. Mm-hmm. They're building up their confidence and their trust with themselves yes. because that is, that is all but eliminated yeah. and they need situations and they, they need to, they need to know they can trust themselves and mm-hmm. that they can exist outside of this. And, mm-hmm. um, I think that's something that's so important to remember as well. And it's something that I never, I never thought of, like I've never been in that situation, but of course they would have, they would have no confidence mm-hmm. in themselves to function as a, you know, a part of mainstream society because mm-hmm. they've, they've not been in that they've not had the ability Mm -hmm. to do that Mm -hmm. and so they need to like situation by situation Mm -hmm. build that up again and learn that they they've got this Mm -hmm. and it's those those baby steps that start to build that foundation for them to rebuild their lives absolutely it's those small and simple things done with consistency Mm -hmm. done with hope and faith yes moving in the right direction yeah, I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that these changes do not happen overnight. No. This is this is a lifelong process. Um, but it is so beautiful and rewarding to see that process unfold because that's when we see change and growth. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate talking on this subject because... Um, at the heart of my podcast, it is all about self-worth. Mm-hmm. And so this this one really strikes near and dear to me because I can imagine, and I can only imagine, the deep pain and heartache that these individuals must experience. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that that sense of self-worth is all but obliterated. And I hope and pray that as they embark on this process of change, as they do those little baby steps towards um, a new life, a new direction, that uh, as you had said, that self-worth starts building. Mm-hmm. And when that self-worth starts building, it, it, may, it might start out slow, but it has the potential to just exponentially grow. And that is such an exhilarating thing to witness in someone. Yes. And you can see it. You can see it in their countenance. You can see it in the way they make eye contact. Yes. You can see it in the way that they carry their themselves, their posture, their body language. Mm-hmm. So true. And don't you also think like there are that that particular piece about like building that confidence and and those baby steps back I think regardless of what we have experienced in life I think we can all within ourselves re-reflect on those moments where we've seen that and we've started that in ourselves and it's it is exhilarating Mm -hmm. within you because it there's that inspiration and that excitement and the the hope of possibility mm-hmm. of what you can mm-hmm. do and realizing that you are capable of so much more mm-hmm. than you thought. And so just for human beings in general, I think the ability to build that and that resiliency and belief and confidence in ourselves mm-hmm. it, it, 
it is endless what we can accomplish when we start to build that and see that in ourselves and celebrate it in ourselves and in others. Absolutely. I think the other thing that goes hand in hand with that is surrounding ourselves with people that are constantly building us up. And we, we all need our own cheerleaders. Sometimes the cheerleader can be ourselves, mm-hmm. but oh, I, I just want every individual to know that whether you feel it or not, there is an army of cheerleaders that have your back. Yes. And that's, that's also one of the pieces that was the, like, I guess the inspiration behind Elevate. And Elevate was created as this community, a way for us to come together to elevate ourselves, mm-hmm. elevate one another, and elevate the community at large. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things for me was I had been lended that confidence and support when I when I started my entrepreneurial journey. There's obviously more than just a little bit of self-doubt. And there were people around me that saw my potential and mm-hmm. believed in me before I was able to see and believe that in myself. And so to absorb that and yeah. to to borrow that yeah. belief and confidence until we can can garner up enough in ourselves to keep taking those steps. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yes. Is having those people that believe that cheer you on yeah. that that lend you the confidence until you're able to have it in yourself. It's such an important part and it's it's what what I wanted this community mm-hmm. to also do in addition to, you know, being this um, space for to learn and to connect but yes let's support like truly mm-hmm. support one another yes and because how often do we not see in ourselves what others see yeah. right oh yeah <laughs> and when they reflect it back at us it's it, I mean when we see ourselves through someone else's eyes there is a magic and a gift yeah. and I think our I don't know I think our the way we are as human beings is we kind of slough it off and we're like, oh, thanks, stop. Uh-huh. But if we take a moment of pause mm-hmm. and see ourselves as others see us, mm-hmm. it's, I, I don't, I don't know about you. I've had those moments of disbelief. Like, is that, is that actually, wow. Yeah. Like it is, it is a gift when someone can share that with us and we yeah. see ourselves with that completely unbiased just pure love yeah no self-judgment yes it's it's a pretty incredible gift that people can give us and we need to we need to sit in that and enjoy that and pull from that to keep us moving forward well said like I I agree on every level with that and um because I've known you for a little while now and you had talked about coming full circle. Yeah. And I see that full circle. So you are now in the position where you are supporting other women. And you're pulling out those strengths in them that they don't see. But you see because of, because of your past lived experience. Through your struggle, you know what it's like to be on that transformation path. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so you now have the insight and ability, an excellent ability, I might add, to to see others without that bias and then to reflect 
what you see for them to see. Thank you. It is life-changing. You're doing amazing, amazing things. And I am so grateful to call you friend. The feeling is mutual. Thank you. And I appreciate that so much. Thank you for... Thank you for reflecting that back at me. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. Well, I don't want this episode to end. I think I think I'm going to have to have you back on the show again because we have there's so much we can talk about. There is. But um, I'm going to close with a question that I ask all of my guests. Okay. And that is, what advice would you give to someone listening today who is struggling to feel of worth and value? Oh, I think, I think it goes right back to what we, we just talked about. And that is find the people that love you Mm -hmm. and that truly see you Mm -hmm. and they exist. They do exist. And if they don't exist in your current circle, expand the circle because this community in Edmonton, at least, and and I have to believe this exists elsewhere, there is so much love and support. And people in general, from what I have seen and what I have experienced, want to see others grow Mm -hmm. and succeed. And those are the people that you need in your corner. And you need to borrow that love, that belief, and that confidence until you can find it for yourself. So find those good people. They exist. Mm -hmm. And that might, it will very often mean you need to push yourself a little bit past that comfort zone to find those people and connect with new new people. But don't be afraid to have conversations Mm -hmm. that are beyond the fluff. Because that's when you find your people and you have these conversations where you can sit across from someone and see them Mm -hmm. and they see you. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of bravery there. Yeah. But find those people, find the ones that can love and support you when you maybe are lacking that in yourself. That's what you need. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, thank you so much, Jocelyn. It has truly been a pleasure to have you on the show with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. If you like this episode and are interested in hearing more, subscribe to More Than Gold on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you are listening. And give us a five-star review. As always, a special thank you to Devon Music Studios for providing the perfect atmosphere for meaningful dialogue to be shared. 